welcome to Undercommon Taste, a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop role-playing games. This is the podcast where we stir the pot and lick the spoon. I'm Ian Woodworth, and I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. Today, we're going to be going through our third episode of our second character in our homebrew showcase. In the last couple episodes, we went through the race of the character, which is going to be a kobold. And then the last episode, we went through the class. They're going to be a thief rogue. And today, we're going through the items that James and I have made to outfit this kobold rogue at the three different levels that we're going to be doing our playtest at. So items for level 3, level 11, and level 20. And at the end of this, the Joker will ask, where does he get all of those wonderful toys? Well, he's a thief rogue, so I think it's pretty obvious where he's getting them. Well, not all of them, but yeah, most of them. At least how he's getting them. Wasn't that the question? No, the question is, where is he getting all the wonderful toys? Sometimes I conflate the two. It happens. So, just to talk a little bit about where we're going with this character, the items that I made are playing more into the utility of the class as opposed to the combat ability, because the thief is not a combat-heavy archetype for the rogue. If you wanted a combat-heavy one, you would pick something like the assassin or maybe the swashbuckler, possibly the scout, but the thief is very much a utility-based archetype, at least to my mind. So I wanted to make uh, some items that would be playing into that archetype and that would be useful as utility items more so than as combat items. And again, you and I see things very similarly with the rogue, but we also have a bit of a difference. So we kind of come from the same thing from different angles. I agree with Ian that your thief is not going to be one of your front-line, toe-to-toe, knuckle-bashing, slobber-knocker type characters. I see the thief more as like an infiltration type character, kind of like your special agent, again, like a James Bond character, referencing Batman, almost Batman-esque in some of the less gritty Batmans where it's more about getting in, collecting information, getting out. In a pinch, yes, he can or she can stand toe-to-toe in a fight. They do that if their other options have failed. If it comes to blows, then quite often they have screwed up something. And if it does come to blows, they have no intention on fighting fair. They're going to fight fast, they're going to fight dirty to either win the fight or preferably even disengage and run away if possible. I think that a thief would probably seek to extract themselves rather than eliminate a target if they're compromised. Generally, and again, depending on the target, but yeah, if extraction is a possible or feasible option, then that's probably what they're going to go for. Not that they're a cowardly character, they know their skill set and accept it. Alright, so let's go ahead and get started. James, do you want to start off with your level 3 item? So, as much as we talked about the thief not being combat-oriented, my level 3 item is actually a weapon for the rogue. It's called the Snake's Fang. It's a bone blade that once per rest, when you unsheath it, it's immediately coated with Serpent's Venom. On a successful hit, it's a DC 10 constitution save for 1d4 damage. On a successful save, you take half damage. So again, it is an option for the rogue. It gives them a little extra punch when they need it. I'm just looking at this. That's I understand that's that's pretty much the standard damage for a venomous snake, right? It's the standard damage for the snake. You can actually, if you were to take a full action and coat your blade with poison, Serpent's Venom is a standard poison. It's actually one of the lower end standard poisons. So I figured once per turn when you unsheath, by unsheathing the blade, it's automatically coated so it doesn't cost the full action. And so you get the weapon damage plus potential poison damage. 
how would you feel about making it a bonus action to poison the blade? I could see that. That's fair. I would see that you drew the blade before combat and the poison's on the weapon for one minute. So there's a time limit too. If you want to make it a bonus action, that's fine. So you drew a second weapon instead of your primary, I guess. But I'm just saying, and just trying to figure out how, because it's a really low save and it's really low damage, even at third level, it just seems like it needs to be a little, either make the save a little bit higher or make the damage a little bit higher if we're going to be doing this as a recharge on a short or long rest. Okay, probably then the next step up would be a DC 12 or we can do a full 1d6 damage on it. Okay. I would actually prefer upping the DC a little bit. Okay. Up it to a DC 12. Okay, that's reasonable. And leave it at 1d4. So we could do it a couple of different ways. You could do it as the first attack that you make with it after completing a rest is a poisoned hit. Or we can do it as, as a bonus action, you can apply the poison, and then it's poisoned for the duration, which I think you said was one minute, right? Right. You can do that. Like I said, I was just going with the standard for coating a weapon, depending on the poison. The Serpent's Venom poison dries in one minute. So like I said, it would be in a special sheath that when the blade was drawn, it automatically coated. Whether you choose to pull that mid-fight as a, I need a little extra punch, or pre-fight if you're coming in from a sneak attack and you're coming in from stealth, that could go either way. But for one minute, that winds up being 10 full rounds of combat. I think. So, I mean, it really has some staying power because depending on how long you want to consider each round per the book, it's six seconds per round, I believe. Yes, it is. And I would almost say that it lasts for one minute. And if you don't use it in that minute, you can use your bonus action to reapply it as long as you haven't used it. Okay, I could see that. Yeah. And again, I wasn't wanting to give the rogue something where they're like, yeah, I can charge into the battle with my pokey stick, but I did want to give them a little extra push when they need it. And I think that just 1d4 isn't a huge amount of damage, and there are a lot of things that are resistant or immune to poison, but it does provide a nice little extra bit to it. Or possibly, how would you feel about instead of having it deal poison damage, if they fail their con save, they get the poisoned condition? What's the actual poisoned condition? A poisoned creature has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks. Yes, I like that one better, actually. So DC 12 con save versus poisoned for one minute? For one minute, yeah. So what we have now is a dagger that you can poison as a bonus action. If you attack a creature with it, they have to make a DC 12 con save or be poisoned for one minute. And once you successfully apply poison, you can't use it again until you complete a short or long rest. I would hold back and again, I would call it from whenever you decide to draw. Because if you choose to draw that before combat... And like I said, you try to use your sneak attack because generally your rogue's going to have your higher initiative roll, hopefully. You might want to use that if there's a particularly big nasty to put that poison condition and disable a target for the rest of the party first. Because your bonus action you only get after your attack roll, correct? No, you can use your bonus action whenever you want on your turn. I thought you could only use your bonus action after your action. I don't believe so. Can we double check that real quick? We can. If that is the rule, then I've been ruling against rules as written the entire time I've been running 5e. So I think a bonus action just indicates the type of actions that you can take. There are certain spells and abilities that are bonus action spells and abilities, and so you can only use them using a bonus action. Okay. Because in 3rd edition, you could take an action 
and break it down to the next smaller increments. You had your action, you had your move action, you had a bonus action, and a free action, I think it was. And so you could break it down to where you could use your action to do a second move action, but you couldn't use a move action to do a second action. Okay, because I was playing... There there were diminishing returns as you break down. So bonus actions... You can take a bonus action only when a special ability spell or other feature in the game states that you can do something as a bonus action, otherwise you don't have a bonus action to take. You can only take one bonus action on your turn, so you must choose which bonus action to use when you have more than one available. You choose when to take a bonus action during your turn unless the bonus action's timing is specified, and anything that deprives you of your ability to take actions also prevents you from taking a bonus action. Okay, but I was playing an Adventure League game, and the DM for that had stated that you could only use your bonus action after your action. So that may have been just the DM's rule for Adventure League versus... That's one of those rules that is generally unclear because a lot of people don't read the rules word for word, and so it is assumed that that's the case. But as we just demonstrated, rules is written. Bonus action is just an indicator of the type of actions that you can take. And you can take them at any point on your turn. Then I am perfectly comfortable with poisoning as a bonus action. All right. And just bouncing ideas here. Do you want to make this an item that you have to attune to? Or is this just an item that you use? This is just an item that you use. I think I'm in agreement here. This doesn't really have anything that would require attunement. It's not particularly magical. It's just the poison on it is nice. It's well made. It's almost like it has a little bladder that you squeeze the bladder and a little bit of poison comes out. Right. Now, I know back in 3rd edition, and I'm not sure. I have to double check the rules in 5th edition to be certain. But I know in 3rd edition and in advanced D&D, for a weapon to even be considered magical, it had to be at least a plus one. So it had to be well made to a point. And so that's... Well, this isn't even a plus one blade. It's well made enough that you've got that little extra feature on it. So it's not a magical weapon. It's just got that little bit of extra. This would definitely fall under the uncommon versus rare or anything like that. So again, it's just that one step up. Yeah, that sounds good to me, calling it an uncommon item. So my third level item is a pair of gloves. The working title is the Gloves of Polite Entry. It's a pair of black silk gloves, and as an action, you can use the gloves to cast the knock spell. Once you use it, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. So there's no breaking, just entering. Well, you knock before you open it. Fair enough. That's why it's polite (laughs) entry. You knock before you enter. And I was toying with adding a little bit of an extra caveat, or a little bit of an extra feature on it, in that any lock that you open using the knock spell through these gloves... Whenever you close the latch, locks back. I like that. That's a good little flavor to it. Yeah, so you close the door after you leave. Close I like the door it. on your way out. It's polite. It's very polite. You're leaving it as much close to as when you went in as you could. No, now, it, whether or not you flip no. tables and dress out dresser drawers while you're inside is completely different. And, right. and the thing is, the knock spell doesn't disarm traps. It doesn't deactivate traps. So if it's trapped, you still have to disable the trap or it'll spring. And when it locks back, it doesn't reactivate the trap. So if anyone has a trap on it and they notice that the trap's been sprung, they'll know something's up. 
I see this really too, if you're being chased by like a group of angry homeowners association or whatever, <laughs> and you're running through that you could use the spell the one time to like dive into a locked door, close it behind you and get some breathing room. So, I mean, that could be used that way too. But something to remember is this isn't going to be very good for anything really quiet sneaky because the knock spell in the text of the spell says that the knock itself is audible within 200 feet. Oh, wow. I never realized it was that loud. Yeah, it is that loud. So, And it's nice because it unlocks both mundane and magical locks. That is very nice. So it gives you that little bit of, I'm having trouble with this particular lock. It Maybe the DC is really high on it, or it's a magical lock, and I can't figure out how to get around it. So I'm just going to use knock on it. And it's your ace in the hole once per day. This is your open sesame. This is open sesame, and you know I like it. I think that should be the activation phrase. I would be perfectly okay with the, that. The activation phrase is open sesame. So yeah, this sounds decent. So you get a free spell per day. Make the arcane trickster super jealous because you've got one spell he don't. So ha. Huh. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a second level spell, and it's on the wizard spell list, so the arcane trickster can pick it up starting at I think fifth level when they get second level spells. That's right. So he has to wait. So I haven't. He doesn't. So ha. Huh. Neener, neener, neener. So yeah, you got some dapper gloves. You're rocking. So you got your party attire. You're not breaking anything to get in. Yeah, I, I like this. This is a uh, fairly solid item. So I'm going to go ahead and go into my level 11 item. This is something that I came up with a while back. It is a consumable magic item because we haven't done any consumable items yet. It's all been equipment so far. And so, so. I call it the breach patch. And what it is, is it's kind of like a low-powered passwall spell. So it's a patch that you slap up on a door or a wall or a floor or a ceiling that lets you open a passageway through. It's a 5 foot by 5 foot square that can go up to 10 feet through material. And that material just disappears for the duration. So for any of our friends that have ever watched the old Bugs Bunny Looney Tunes, this is a portable hole. But it's not a D&D portable hole, because I think a portable hole, I think it is more like a portable pit. Gotcha. Now, referencing old Looney Tunes, I love the portable holes. And aside from, you know, the giant sack that Bugs Bunny had that could pull out anything from a roast turkey dinner to a sledgehammer to more portable holes, that was always one of those cool things I wanted as a kid. I wanted to be able to slap something on the wall and reach through and step it through and step out. Throw something on the ground, jump in, pull okay. it down after me. Okay, so the text of the item says you can use an action to unfold a portable hole, which is a six-foot diameter, and place it on or against a solid surface, whereupon the portable hole creates an extra-dimensional hole ten feet deep. The cylindrical space within the hole exists on a different plane, so it can't be used to create open passages. Any creature inside an open portable hole can exit the hole by climbing out of it. The portable hole creates just a pit, where this creates, yeah, it, this like is, I said, the Looney Tunes portable hole where you can actually reach through things. Absolutely. So the passage that you make with it exists for one minute before reverting back to its original form, and the lingering aura of it dissipates after an hour. So that after an hour passes, they can't use detect magic and see that something happened here. Okay. So you said this is consumable, so once you use it, it's spent? Yeah, once you use it, it's done. It's one and done. Gotcha. That's definitely something. This would be something I would imagine would have a nice gold cost to it, I assume. Yes, it would be expensive. Probably going to be illegal. Yeah, it's contraband. Yeah, this is definitely something that only 
government agents and your really important infiltrators for your guilds and assassins are going to have. This isn't something that you're just going to be able to walk into a magic store and buy. So I think the cool kids call the uh, consumable contraband things edibles. (laughs) (laughs) I would not recommend eating a breech patch. I mean, Um, to each their own. Whatever you want to do. And then taking a page from the passwall spell, if you happen to be in the space where the material was, whenever it comes back, you get expelled to the side opposite the patch and take 8d6 bludgeoning damage. Ouch, so that's uh, that can be a pretty big hit if you don't plan that right. But like I said, that's the damage of the passwall spell if you get stuck in the space when passwall expires. And again, this actually winds up, you can make a nice trap out of this too, which gives it some extra utility. Yeah, if you time it right. Yeah, you could time it right. This, I could see something like, again, if you're getting chased by a big scary, something you threw on the ground, they fall in the hole and before they have a chance to jump out, you snatch that thing back up and close it. No, there is no snatch it back up. Oh, it just stays open? Yeah, because it's consumed in opening it. Gotcha, okay. So it lasts for a minute, and once the minute is done, it closes. And whatever is in that space gets expelled to the opposite side of whatever wall or floor or ceiling that you put it on. So if you put it on the outside of a door to get into a room, whatever's in the middle there gets pushed into the room whenever it expires. I still see a trap potential with this, which I I like. And like I said, that will be one of those kind of creative thinking type exercises to just see how to time and use that properly. But that really could be kind of something fun to use. Because that's something that if you're being pursued and you're able to time that right, whenever it expires and it pushes your pursuer onto the opposite side of the wall from you, so you don't have to worry about a hurt and very angry pursuer popping out in front of you. Exactly. Unless he's the Kool-Aid man, in which case, well, walls mean nothing. Walls mean nothing. Oh, yeah. Okay, so what's your level 11 item? So my level 11 item is the Nobleman's Monocle, mostly just because I want to see a kobold with a monocle. So this one, obviously you're going to look dapper, so you have to get the plus one in charisma, because you're just going to look great with a monocle. The other thing, again, trying to build in with the thief archetype, that infiltrator archetype, this is going to give you advantage on an investigation check. So when you're looking for that item that you're supposed to be trying to steal, that information you're looking to find, or if you're searching for traps, this will definitely help with all of that. Okay, so we talked about this a little bit. I think that just giving a flat advantage on investigation checks is entirely OP. As far as I can find, there are no items that just give a flat, you get advantage on this, passive. Usually you have to activate it in order to get a bonus that big. So yeah, we discussed this, and I initially had wanted to add the proficiency bonus again to investigation, but by this point, as a level 11 thief, you really, the player has hopefully already picked up expertise with investigation you'd really really hope so tripling your proficiency skill seems a bit much i can see dialing this back a little bit and using that so once per short rest or maybe even twice per short rest being able to use that investigation check or activating it to be able to use the investigation check for an advantage why not we just give it some charges give it three charges and the charges recharge on a long rest that works too so three charges per long rest So would it be an action or a bonus action 
Definitely a bonus action. Because I don't want it to take too much time. Again, because if you've broken into somewhere and you're investigating, then you're you're wanting to get in and out. If you're looking for traps, you've got a bunch of people behind you. I was hoping to make this fairly passive for the bonus to keep your utility as active as possible. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think that dialing that back to making your advantage on investigation checks and ability that you activate, I think that really tones it down and brings it, balances it a lot. Yeah, I can see that. So we do want to keep things balanced because we don't want something absolutely broken. So yeah, that sounds fair. Yeah, I, I like what we've done with that. I think that'll work nice. I like having ability score increase items. They are very rare. You don't really run into them a whole lot in 5th edition. It is more common in 5th edition to have an item that just gives you your whatever stat becomes this. There's a necklace that your constitution becomes 19. I think it's called the, an amulet of health or something like that. But it sets your constitution score to 19. And all of the belts of giant strength, they all just set your strength score to a number. And it's it's annoying to me that it's always an odd number. It's like, okay, so why are we making this a 19 instead of an 18? Because that there's that little that little part of me that's like, but I like my even numbers because that's when I get my bonuses. Right. And I don't know. Well, when you get like Bear Strength or Cat's Grace or the the, Eagle's Wisdom. Those spells. Those are odd number two, are they not? No. The Enhance Ability spells, they give you advantage on ability checks of that ability. Uh, I'm thinking my brain automatically, because I again, I played 3.5 for so long my brain automatically clicks to 3.5, and those were odd numbers. And so that would make sense where you had an odd number, and an odd number would bump you to an even number. It's been a long time since I've looked through the spell list for the third edition. So yeah, I think that's pretty good for what we've got for the uh, level 11 encounter. That would be a really good combination for a heist job. Exactly. You know, you have your breach patch so you can get into the room real quick. You got your monocle so you can find what you're looking for real quick, and then you get out before you get detected. Exactly. This was kind of going for that whole infiltration feel. Yeah, I like it. So that's got our level 11 items out of the way. Do you want to go ahead and lead off with your level 20 item? Yeah, so again, keeping with the whole infiltration theme for our thief, what does every thief want? The key to the city. This is going to be an artifact for me. The key to the city will open any lock. Magical, non-magical, doesn't matter. will open any lock and will disarm any trap. The key to the city, you get 1d4 charges. When you attune to it, you use one charge per use. And at dawn each day, the key will regenerate 1d4 charges per day. If you use the last charge, so if you drop to zero charges, you need to roll a d20. On the roll of a 1, the key will dissipate, either fouling the lock or automatically triggering the trap. If the key fouls the lock and dissipates, that lock cannot be opened by any means. And again, if you trigger the trap, then the trap automatically triggers and the key disappears into a, a mode of dust. Okay. And you said it has four charges and you recover 1d4 charges a day? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I think that'll work. Yeah, so again, this gives you the ability to get into locked doors. If you find a trap that's particularly nasty or troublesome, you can use it for that trap. So again, this really gives that utility feel to the rogue of getting in and out of places, taking care of things the party generally would not be equipped to do. The question that I'm going to have is, 
if it is a trapped lock and you foul it, is it going to foul the lock? Is it going to trip the trap? Or is it going to do both? If you're using the key to do both, then it would do both. If you're using the key to just open the lock, then it would foul the lock. The trap wouldn't trigger unless the door was open. Okay. Because there are traps that trigger if you try to unlock a lock without the key. Right, but then you'd have to know the trap was there. So if you investigate for the trap and you wish to try to use the key for both of those, so you'd be burning two charges at once, which would be an option, and you failed and you rolled your one using your last charge, then that would trigger both versus I'm just going to try to unlock it, in which case the trap would still trigger normally because you've tried to use a wrong key. It would not be triggered by the failure. It would be triggered by the use of an improper key. Okay. And so you would still only be making one roll? You wouldn't be making two rolls, one for the lock, one for the trap? Correct, because you've already dropped to zero. Because you'd only drop to zero once. Okay, so it's the dropping to zero that requires you to roll. Correct. Okay. All right. Yeah, I can see that working. So four charges, 1d4 per long rest, and it just automatically unlocks it. Yes. Okay. As a full action, if you want to spend it, generally we'd be done out of combat, but if it's in combat, then yes, a full action. Well, seeing as this is a thief and they have the ability to use an item as a cunning action, as a bonus action, they Mm -hmm. would be able to use this as a bonus action. That is correct. Okay. Yeah, I think that'll work. Now, the thing is, at this level, assuming that they took expertise with their thieves' tools... Which isn't a given. It is likely, but it isn't a given. If they take expertise with their thieves' tools, they can use their reliable talent to where they'll never roll less than a 10. And so at 20th level, the lowest that they're ever going to roll is a 22 plus their dex mod. Right. But also at level 20, you're going to have theoretically some really large locks or even possibly magical locks, in which case your thieves' tools just don't touch it. True. Yeah, but the highest DC that you run into in 5th edition is DC 30. DC 30 seems to be the cap, and you very rarely run into DC 30. You're mostly going to run into a DC 25. Right. But even if, just assuming, a DC 30, if you have a 20 dex, then the lowest you can roll is a 27. But then again, you would have to roll a 13 or higher to succeed on that still. So yeah, that would be all right. And then again, with the advent of a magical lock, that's also why I decided to throw in the trap disarmament as well. But the other thing is, a magical lock can be defeated by a dispel magic or a knock spell. Assuming that, again, the knock spell does, as you had mentioned before, creates the uh, rather loud noise. It does. And dispel magic takes up a magic slot. I'm talking about actually using the spells. Because they are fairly low-level spells. I think Dispel Magic is a third-level spell. The wizard is going to have, I think, four third-level spell slots at this point. So burning one third-level spell slot isn't going to be too terribly bad. I mean, unless... the person who never plays a wizard. Because when you start running out of spells, you want that third-level spell slot back. (laughs) Yeah, but with Arcane Recovery, you also will be able to recover a combined ten levels of spell slots on a short rest. So... You know, yeah, you're not going to get your big spell slots back, but you can get a bunch of your little ones back. And I know from the games that I've run, whenever you run into the higher level stuff, you'll end up having nothing left fifth level and up, but you'll still have 
this big chunk of most of your first and second level spell slots left. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it depends on how the fight goes or, or how long you get between rests. I've played many a character where I was down to my last first level spells and I was tossing cantrips because that's all that was left. And this will definitely have its uses. I think that the 5% chance of it disappearing when you run out of charges is all right. Would you want to change that? It just, it seems to me like it's going to discourage you from using it. Do you want to say on a failure instead of it dissipating that it does foul the lock, it does trigger the trap, instead of dissipating, you do not gain any charges on the next long rest? For what it does, you need that risk of it disappearing. I'm just brainstorming here. I'm And that's really... what we're here for. We are for brainstorming. So let's tinker with this a bit. Let's see what we can do with it. That's just the thing. I'm not thinking of a way to improve on this. I was just thinking out loud and I'm coming up blank. Okay. So I, I think you did a pretty good job here. Yeah, I think this will work. Again, this is a point where we could also ask our listeners, if you think you have a way to round this out a little better, what would you try to throw in there instead? We've got two brains brainstorming, but more brains are always better. Here's, ask any intellect devourer, they'll tell you that. Here's the question that I would pose to our listeners. How would you use this item in a way that is completely broken? How would you break the game using this item? That is a great question. So send us an email at undercommontaste at gmail.com or a DM through Twitter at UCT Homebrew and let us know how you would break the game using this item because that's how we are going to figure out how to tune it. Okay, so let's go ahead into my level 20 item. Like last time, it is a weapon because high-level magic weapons are kind of my shtick. Stick is never a high-level magical item. Stick, no. Shtick. Shtick <laughs> can be. But this is a rework of a 4th edition homebrew magic item that was used in, in a game that I listened to the podcast of, I think was the Thursday Nights podcast. I don't have the name of the original author. I will put up the link where I found the written description of this particular item whenever this episode goes live. But the item is the Exodus Knife. So it starts off, it's a plus three magical dagger. And when you use it to attack an ethereal creature, the damage type of the attacks made with the weapon become force damage instead of piercing damage as a start. Because when you're ethereal, they have resistance or immunity to everything but force damage. And the ethereal part of it becomes important later, when I start talking about all of the non-combat things that you can do with this thing, which may be kind of crazy and extra, but I like it, so get over it. It has five charges on it, and it regains one spent charge per long rest. So it is a slow recovery item. If you use all of the charges on the knife, you roll a d20. On a 20, you immediately regain 1d4 plus one charges. On a 1, it becomes inert, losing all magical properties and being unable to regain any charges for seven days. Okay, so that's definitely something you want to watch out for. So Though that twenty roll is kind of nice. After seven days, it regains its magical properties and starts recovering one charge per long rest as normal. So now to the things that you can do with it other than poke people with it. As an action, you can spend one or more charges to use one of the following abilities. Uh, the first one, you spend one charge... Carve a doorway in the air in an unoccupied space within five feet of you. The doorway opens into the ethereal plane, 
and you and one other willing creature no more than one size larger than you may enter the doorway. Any creatures that enter the ethereal plane in this way gain the effects of the etherealness spell, save that the duration is reduced to 10 minutes. So it is normally an 8-hour spell. It reduces the duration to 10 minutes. I mean, that gives you a little bit of time to get stuff done. But it is definitely a get-in, do-it-get-out sort of deal. The doorway on your original plane closes when you enter the ethereal plane, but the doorway on the ethereal plane persists for the full 10 minutes or until you return to your original plane. While this door is open, any creature in the ethereal plane may pass through it, appearing in the space that was occupied by the original doorway or the nearest unoccupied space. You may spend one action to carve a second doorway on the ethereal plane to exit to your original plane. Doing so does not consume a charge. When you leave the ethereal plane through one of these doorways, all remaining doorways on the ethereal plane close, and any other creature under the effects of this ability immediately return to your original plane. Okay. So an important caveat with this is, if somebody's going with you, they have to go in before you, and they have to come out before you. If they don't go in before you, they're not getting in because the door closes behind you. Because you're the one with the knife. And if they are not out before you leave, they're going to get spit out wherever they happen to be. And if they happen to be in a wall... They're stuck in a wall. No, they get shunted to the nearest unoccupied space, but they take bludgeoning damage equal to... I think it's two times the number of feet moved. Okay. So it works like a yeah, portable hole spell at that point. Okay. Yeah, like pass wall and all of those abilities. They used to, if you were inside of a solid object, when it expired, you got stuck there once upon a time. And they decided that it was better to... You still have a penalty, but you get shunted back out into an open space. It just may hurt a lot. You may end up coming out as a spray of red paste. <laughs> Well, you're coming out one way or the other. Yeah, you're going to make it out of that wall. You just may not be recognizable when you do. See, I could see this being used like if you got swallowed by a dragon or a big scary, you know, decides to do you a full chomp. Instead of trying to carve your way out, you could just pop this and step out. Yeah, just... And then you've got the ethereal, so you could take a couple cheap shots while you're at it. Only if that creature goes into the ethereal plane. Can no. you not attack from the ethereal as well? I would have to look into that. I think that is a specific ability that certain ethereal creatures, certain creatures that can naturally go back and forth between the ethereal and material planes can do. I've never really had to deal with creatures trying to attack from the ethereal plane. Most of my games don't get to a point where ethereal creatures really make a big appearance. So my knowledge of the etherealness rules are a little bit fuzzy. Okay. Well, I'm just thinking, like I said, I know ghosts and specters tend to be ethereal, and like, that's why they have the, they are dealt force damage versus, you know, they have the resistance to piercing or whatnot, but they can still attack yeah, your but, player characters. But I'm pretty sure they have to materialize in the material plane before they can actually interact with a creature on the material plane. Gotcha. I know that in 3rd edition, there were some creatures that could attack you from the ethereal plane, and there is... One example that I can think of off the top of my head is the Night Hag in 5th edition has an ability where they can touch a creature from the ethereal plane and cause it to have nightmares. But I don't know about actually attacking and dealing damage from the ethereal plane. Okay, and that's something we can look up later and kind of explore. So I like this. This kind of gets you in and out of a lot of, a lot of spaces. This can get you out of a tight spot or two, which I really like as well. 
Yeah, and it also allows you to circumvent a lot of security because you can just find yourself a secluded room, carve a door into the ethereal plane, just walk through walls until you get where you want to be, carve, carve another door, step out into the room you want to be in, grab whatever it is you came to grab, and then you cut another doorway, spend a second charge, cut another doorway, and pass back into the ethereal plane until you get back to your secluded room you started from. Now, you just have to hope the DM doesn't throw a bunch of ethereal creatures walking through there, too. Like, if you're going through a castle and all of a sudden, oh, by the way, the castle's haunted. So that that would be something to watch out for. But otherwise, yeah, that, that gets you in and out nice, quick, and easy. That is perfectly acceptable DM behavior, I would have you know. <laughs> So my other quick question about this is when or if the blade goes inert. So you've used that charge, you roll your one because your dice hate you. How is this looking as a standard weapon? Is it a dagger? Is it a short sword? It would just be a dagger. It would just be a 1d4 dagger until it could gain charges again. Okay. Okay, so the second ability that you can spend charges on, this is the ability that it had in the 4th edition homebrew item. You spend three charges... You can carve a doorway into the air. The doorway is 5 feet wide by 10 feet tall and opens into an empty 20-foot cube pocket dimension. Any creature may enter or leave the pocket dimension as long as the door is open, and the door may be freely opened or closed by a creature from the inside as a bonus action. Once closed, the doorway disappears and can only be seen by creatures with true sight and can be only opened by a creature on the inside or with another use of the exodus knife. You may close the doorway from the outside as an action without spending any charges. So you as the person with the knife. Okay, so in your Exodus knife, you get five charges max, correct? Five charges max. So you could open this pocket dimension, stuff your party inside, close it up, use your urethralness, slip through. That'd be four charges, and then you use the charge to, to step back out, correct? No. No? Okay. So yeah, you'd use four of your five charges, but you could transport your party just about anywhere, which is actually kind of a nice little trick to have. Yeah, and you just have to hope that they have enough to keep themselves occupied for two days while you wait for your knife to recharge to the point that you can reopen the doorway and get them out. They can open from the inside at any point, right? Yeah, but it's going to reopen at the place where it was placed. Oh, okay. I was thinking it opened where you were at. No, the, so, yeah. the doorway doesn't move until you use the knife to open it again. Okay, yeah. So you do. Yeah, you'd have to wait the two days then. See, math, math is hard. <laughs> and so, any items that you leave inside the pocket dimension will still be there when you reopen it. And the pocket dimension is proof against scrying, cannot be teleported into, and can only be teleported out of by use of spells which allow for travel between planes. So, Do you want to piss off a dragon? Because this is how you piss off a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh, look, your horde disappeared in this weird pocket dimension. Oops. <laughs> they're not going to be a very big dragon if their entire horde will fit into a 20-foot cube. If you took a coin off a dragon's horde, it's coming after you. If you take 20 cubic feet, or it's not 20 cubic feet, it'd be... 20 by 20 by 20... 8,000? 400 times 20? Yeah, so 8,000. 8, Cubic feet of treasure? That dragon's going to But that's also assuming that you can shove it full. Exactly. So, like I said, that dragon's going to be pissed. <laughs> but yeah, so, and if the dragon is also a high-level magic user, which many of them are, it's not that unfeasible to think that they would be able to use 
true sight or true seeing. So they would be able to see this door and they would just be very upset because they'd see the door and be unable to open it. Right. Just sitting there taunting them. And then it just sits there for a few days and then one day it just disappears. Yeah, it's, exactly. <laughs> it took there for exactly two days. Them just sitting there raging at it because they can't do anything about it, and then boop, it's gone. Yeah, this will be a plot item, I think. This totally like you want to know why Smog was pissed. I mean, this is why Smog again barely took anything and burnt down an entire town. Now you're taking half its horde or more. You know, yeah, definitely an issue. But that is something that it can be used as a way to hide for an extended period of time. But if they see you go in, even if they can't see the doorway, someone who is, say, a higher level wizard or someone with a high intelligence score may be able to reason out, if all of you disappear inside and close the door, that there may be a time when you are going to have to come back out of this. Right. And that's when you set your golems to guard. You figure out roughly where they set everything up. And then you just build a nice big bonfire and you just keep feeding it until either they have to come out or you're pretty sure that there's no way that they're ever coming back. Now, while that's while that door is open, can anybody throw anything inside? Anybody. It is an open yeah. door. Yeah. So, I mean, that could be a thing, too. Like if they throw in like a smoke grenade or something that you set a bonfire and started consuming oxygen or something along those lines. Or an invisible creature sneaks in while the door's still open. Oh, that would be sneaky, too. That comes back down to the quick-wittedness of the players and the DM and things like that and how they want to try to throw those things. So something like this actually creates a lot of options and can go really sideways and be a lot of fun to mess with. So, yeah, I like this mechanic a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking having the Rorschach scenario where I'm not locked in here with you, you're locked in here with me, or where there's a whole big party of lower-level monsters outside, but something really big and nasty that was able to turn invisible managed to sneak in while the door was still open. You close the door, you sit down, you think you're safe, you think you're going to get to take a breather, and then this thing drops invisibility and starts to rudely interrupt you. So the dragon actually followed his horde, you just didn't see it. Yeah, because they can shape change into a humanoid form. So they shape change into a human and turn themselves invisible and they walk through the door while it's open. While you guys are shoveling all of his treasure inside. And and a dragon could wait two days, no problem. Two days is nothing. He would just wait in there until you opened it up because he knows if you're shoveling all this stuff in there, you have a way to get it back out. And so he's just going to be patient and wait you out. You're going to get back to your stronghold. You're going to get back to your base of operations. And you're going to say, yeah, we got away scot-free. The dragon doesn't even know that we got it. You open the the door. (laughs) You start shoveling this stuff out. And all of a sudden, a dragon appears in your treasury room. I I think, Ian, that we found the uh, level 20 encounter. (laughs) This could be great. Yes, I I think we found our level 20 encounter. This could be great. Okay. All right, so, and there's still one more thing. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. The final thing is you can spend five charges, carve a doorway, opens a portal to another plane up to 10 feet wide and up to 20 feet high, and it functions as the gate spell and requires your concentration to hold it open. So So any plane? Any plane. Nice. The gate spell is, it's a ninth level spell. And it can open to any plane. And you can open it 
if you know the true name of a creature, you can open the gateway within, I think it's within five feet of that creature, and compel them to come through it. Oh, nice. That is actually part of the gate spell. The gate remains open for one minute or until you choose to close it as a bonus action. Yeah, this knife just spells trouble on so many levels. <laughs> After you close the gate, the two planes on either side of it become anchored together at that location for 24 hours. During this time, you may spend an action to reopen the gate between the two planes without spending charges. And any creature who is aware of that anchor's location may also travel between the two anchored planes using the plane shift spell or reopen the gateway using the gate spell. So much trouble could be made with this knife. I love it. If the gate closes because you lose concentration or because you decide to stop concentrating on it instead of using your bonus action to close it, there is a 50% chance that the anchor is immediately broken. Okay. So yeah, I could see this knife actually being the plot piece for a whole campaign of someone has this knife and is horribly misusing it. That would be pretty much me with the knife. Yeah, I can, I can see Magnus with this knife just causing all kinds of chaos. Oh, absolutely. And then you trying to retrieve it in some form or fashion. So yeah, I mean, this this definitely could be, like I said, a huge plot device, which is actually really kind of cool. And in order to use the anchor, you have to be within 20 feet of the original gate location. So you have to be close to it. You don't have to be in that exact same space but you do have to be close to it. So if you end up opening a gateway into, say, a room in a djinn's palace on the elemental plane of fire, you have to make sure that you don't collapse that part of the palace so that you can actually get to within 20 feet of where you open that gate, so that you nice. can actually get back. No, that sounds. this sounds like it could be a lot, a lot of fun to mess with. And the whole being able to use the anchor, a spellcaster being able to use the anchor to use plane shift or gate to either hop through to that location or reopen the gate would be great for you're being pursued. You use the knife to reopen the gateway. Everybody tumbles through. You close the gate behind you. You think you're okay. And then all of a sudden, the gate reopens. Do you want to summon orcs? Because this is how Medivh summoned orcs. <laughs> this is exactly how Medivh summoned orcs. This is the Dark Portal. I like it. So do you agree on the limiters that I've got on this and the mechanics? Yeah, the mechanics sound good. Five charges works, particularly with the different things. It's not like you can instantly teleport your entire party somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to think long-term what you plan on doing with the knife. So that creates some points where the character has to consider and weigh what they want to do with this particular item. I like that a lot. Yeah, because with using the gate, using the five charge spell, you have to do it in such a way that you know you're going to be able to get in and then back out. And that back out's always the tricky part. But you have to be able to get back out within 24 hours. And you have to hope that you don't have the knife go inert from you using up all the charges at once. Because if it goes inert, you're stuck there for 12 days unless you have somebody in your party that knows plane shift or gate. Because yeah, you, have, no. you have seven days before it even starts recovering charges. And then I hope you brought some gold and find a wizard. <laughs> yeah. So there is definitely a gamble involved in this. And that's one of the things I really like about this is that you have to uh, 
be mindful of your charges and what you're doing with it. Because if you math wrong, the campaign's going to get very interesting very fast. <laughs> Real quick. All right, so I think that's actually it. Yeah, so that wraps up our Kobold. We've got an orc outfitted. We've got our Kobold up and outfitted. As these episodes roll out, we will have these published on our Instagram and our Twitter and our Facebook page. So you can use them and tinker with them as well if you wish. Next week, if all goes as planned, we hope to have a bit of a Halloween special for you all. We're going to have a bit of a monster mash. Yeah, we James and I got to talking and it's going to be the episode right before Halloween. So we wanted to make up something spooky and in the theme of the season to give you guys a sense of sort of how we run a game so i believe we're going to be doing hags is that right i think that's what we've settled on yeah so we've got some hags and i think we should leave it there and let the imagination run wild i really like hags i think they are a criminally underused monster in 5e i mean they don't have the big allure to them that say vampires and werewolves do but there's just so much that you can do with hags, either individually or as a coven, that they're just this vastly underused resource. And I'm really excited about what we're going to be doing with them. So uh, join us next week, and we'll have ourselves a nice little Halloween party. Thank you for joining us for the Undercommon Taste podcast. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, corrections, suggestions, or ideas, please feel free to send them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can also find us on Twitter under the handle at UCT Homebrew and on Instagram and Facebook under Undercommon Taste. Our theme music is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash Crowell. Again, thank you for joining us and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.